Amen. Good morning. Good morning, church. Let's stand together. We're going to sing out today, and we're going to praise the Lord together. All right? Sing with me this song. Sing it out. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the see you here this morning and so we are excited today we've been sharing over the past couple of weeks that this is freedom sunday for us as a church and so just by way of introduction just want to welcome you here if you're visiting with us we're so glad that you're here somewhere in the seat back around you is a connection card would love for you to fill that out and uh, turn that in just a just a little bit but this morning it's going to look a little bit different during, normally during this time, we take up our tithes and offerings. We will do that at the end of worship today. But during this time, we're going to be doing our freedom giving. And so here's how this is going to work. Hopefully somewhere around you, or you got these as you came in this morning, hopefully you received three things, an envelope and two pieces of cardstock. And so the envelope, that's going to be our regular giving for Freedom Campaign moving forward. But on these two cards, the first has three commitments. Now hear me this morning, this is not a spiritual litmus test. Not, we're not trying to see, can everybody check all three boxes? 
Because we understand coming into this morning that some people can give financially over and above normal tithes and offerings. But we also understand that some people can't give over and above normal tithes and offerings. And so here's our goal, that everyone has an opportunity to participate in this freedom campaign. That this is not just for a select few in the church, but everyone can participate. So there's three options. First option is a commitment to pray. And so here's what we're asking. If you commit to pray, that you commit to pray for this daily. That you commit to pray daily, specifically for the financial freedom of Airline Baptist Church. That's your commitment. The second commitment is a commitment to serve. As we've already said throughout this entire process, this is not for a select few. We want 100% participation and involvement as a church. So there's going to be some opportunities coming up where you can be hands and feet to help serve in raising funds to eliminate the debt. And so if you're interested in that, check that box because that's going to be the list of names that will get the first phone call as opportunities present itself. So rather than going to life groups and saying, hey, we have this event, can you get some volunteers together? This will be the list of names that we call first to help volunteer for those opportunities. And then the last commitment is a commitment to give, which takes us to the second card. As we've already talked, you can do however you feel led. Maybe it's a one-time pledge where you say, hey, we want to give this. Just mark that and fill in that amount. And then the second half, cut off that little piece and you take that home. Or maybe it's a total gift, but you want to spread it out over the next six months to have that paid. You're more than welcome to do that as well. And then the last being, we know we can commit to X amount per month. And so just fill that out. If you want to go ahead and give that this morning, you can. You're more than welcome to. Or if you want to start your monthly pledge next month, you're more than welcome to do that as well. But go ahead and fill this out because what we're going to do is just a few moments, we're going to ask you to come and drop those off in these baskets around the altar. And then our freedom team is going to take those baskets and see where we're at and when this thing is going to be paid off. And so if you don't have those three things, two card stocks and an envelope, would you just slip your hand up in the air? We've got some deacons that will kind of help facilitate that and get those passed out. And then another note as well on the financial pledge, if you are interested in giving in honor of someone or in memory of someone, just write that name um, there at the bottom of that card as well. And we will make note of those in August when we do our 150 celebration. So lift your hand up if you need some, some of those cards and envelopes. And just to encourage you this morning, even though we haven't officially started, people have been giving. And to date, we're almost 10% of the way there after three weeks. And so moving forward, as you can see, our aim is to update this weekly. 
just slowly fill in or quickly, however the Lord provides that circle to the point when we are financially free as a church. And so here's what we're gonna do this morning. We'll take a few moments, encourage you and your family talk and pray. And then once you've talked and you've prayed and you're ready to drop your envelope off, come as a family and drop it off in one of these baskets. And while you're praying, there's gonna be some slight music in the background, but also we've got a video showing the building of this church in time-lapse. And so I'm gonna pray for us and encourage you to pray as a family. And whenever you're ready, come drop it off in the basket. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you and we praise you. God, we pray that you would use these offerings. God, not for us, not for our kingdom, but for yours. God, would you take what may seem small in our hands and multiply it in yours. That God, just as you called the disciples to feed the 5,000, they looked at what was in their hands and said, there's no way it can be done. But they failed to recognize that what was in their hands when placed in your hands is exponentially more. And so would you take it and multiply it, God, so that we would be free to pursue the mission that you have called us to as Airline Baptist Church. God, help us to walk in unity through this for your glory and for your honor. And we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. As you get started praying, if you need assistance to drop off your envelope in the basket, just slip your hand up and we'll have a deacon come by to help you. But during this time, I encourage you to pray. This isn't normal tithes and offerings. This is just freedom giving this morning. Normal tithes and offerings will be at the end. But I encourage you to begin to pray as a family.
God, we love you and we thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for our time together this morning. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory for everything that's been done. Lord, we look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the time that remains. God, be with our pastors. He brings the message to us in Jesus' name. Amen. so good to see you this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. And so we left off last week as they began the conquest. And so they've crossed over the Jordan. Um, they prepared themselves by remembering their covenant with God through circumcision. Now they had finally started the conquest by taking Jericho. And we just talked about how interesting of a process that was. And that the emphasis was on God being the victor and trusting God to fight the battle. Well, chapter 7 takes a turn. Because one of the things that we pointed out last week was as they were going into Jericho that they weren't to take any of the spoils, that those things were to be devoted to destruction for God's glory. Why? Because the purpose of the conquest was not for Israel to get rich. It was to see that their God was a victorious God, a God who would fulfill his promises. And so they were not to touch any of the spoils of the land of Jericho specifically. They was to all be devoted to God. We talked last week about faithfulness to God's promise and what God has commanded us to do. Well, as we begin chapter 7, we're going to see they weren't as faithful as we thought. So chapter 7, for the sake of time, we won't read through it, but we're still going to work our way through the text. So starting in verse number 1, we see Israel's problem. Israel's problem. Verse 1, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So right off the bat, as we begin chapter 7, we see that they weren't faithful. Specifically, Achan was not faithful. That there were some things as they took Jericho that were to be devoted to destruction. They were to be devoted or to God. And yet, Achan took some of those. So notice, because of this, it said that God's anger burned against the people of Israel. 
Notice God's holiness, his righteousness is not a respecter of persons. That God is just as holy to Israel as he was to Jericho. His holiness here. So Israel's got a problem. They find themselves at the center of God's anger and holiness and righteousness. But not only does Israel have a problem, we see point number two, we see Israel's pride. It says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So just consider for just a moment, they've had one military victory. They just left Jericho. And all of a sudden, as they're planning their attack against AI, they see it, they spy it out. Notice there's no prayer. There's no consideration of God in this. They simply look at it and they say, don't even waste your time sending everyone up there. Just a couple thousand people will handle it. Notice the pride in that. There's no consideration of God. They think they can handle it. They think they have what it takes. And not even all of them. This is so easy. Let's just send a small percentage to go and fight. Can I just be honest, church? When God begins to work in the life of a group of believers... The temptation is to always think we know what we're doing. The temptation is always to think we've got this thing figured out. We've seen God do a couple of things and all of a sudden we become the experts. Instead of going, hey, the, the, the formula for success against Jericho was us trusting God to be God and us following after God and following what God commanded us to do. Maybe that should be our formula for AI. But no, we don't see that. They thought they could handle it. And as a church... There will never be a day when we have it figured out. We're the experts. We know what we're doing. We know what ministry should look like. 
No, day by day, it's a continual process of us following faithfully after God. Trusting that he knows what he's doing. Trusting that he is the mighty warrior that he says he is. Not that we have it figured out. Not that pride begins to swell up in our hearts just as it swelled up in Israel's heart. Because we see the results of that. This little settlement that they thought they could just send a few thousand people to sends them packing and they lose the battle. So we see Israel's problem, their pride. And surely at this point, the error of their ways should have stood out to them. But in verse 6, we see Israel's answer. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Notice when the problem arose... In Joshua's mind, the problem was not Israel. The problem was God. Now just think about this for just a moment. They they just crossed the Jordan. Remember that a few chapters ago? When as the Jordan was running out of its banks, God stands the water up and they walk through on dry ground. Like they just saw that. They just saw the walls of Jericho come tumbling down and the victory that was there. And all of a sudden, one defeat, one setback. They're going, God, why'd you bring us here? God, if you forgot about us, God, it would have been better had we just stayed beyond the Jordan. How easy it is to become short-sighted. You see, they they had the stones back in Gilgal. But yet, all of a sudden now, the problem is God. Instead of Joshua sitting back and going, we know God's promised us this. We know that we are children of Abraham whom God promised that his seed would multiply as the sands of the earth. That God promised that back then and we've seen him work even in our own lives. So maybe, just maybe the problem is not God. Maybe there's a problem in our own camp. 
And yet this thought never crossed Joshua's mind. Instead of examining the problem, he decides to throw himself a pity party. And so even in our own lives, how quick are we to do the same thing Joshua did? Something doesn't go according to our plan. Instead of stepping back and saying, why didn't this go according to plan? Maybe it was because it was our own plan and not God's plan. Or maybe the timing wasn't right or whatever the case may be. Instead of stepping back and going, God, what happened here? We simply step back and go, God, where were you in all of this? And throw ourselves our own pity party as though God has forgotten us. As though God has forgotten what he was doing in our own lives. We throw the pity party. And this is Israel's answer. They were defeated at Ai. Surely the problem was God's fault. Maybe God's forgotten us. So we move from Israel's answer to God's judgment. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. I just love that God does that. He doesn't pat him on the back. He doesn't whisper words of affirmation in his ear. He says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I have commanded them, and they have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. That by taking the things that the Bible, depending on your translation, devoted for destruction, things under the ban, the Hebrew term harem. That by taking those things, they themselves have become that thing. That instead of devoting it to God through its destruction, they themselves become devoted for destruction. And God says, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until, they, until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he, who is take, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. 
he and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So here's the judicial process that God is going to enact on Israel, that they were to come tribe by tribe, clan by clan, household by household, man by man, until they discover who took the devoted things. And God is serious about this. Make no mistake, one of the things that we do in our modern day society is we have the tendency to minimize sin. We have the tendency to try to lessen the blow of sin. But in both Old and New Testament, sin is severe. Why? Because sin is not just a slight misstep. It's not just getting the wrong answer. But sin in and of itself is cosmic treason against a holy God. It is severe. And that the God of Joshua is the same God of today. He's still holy. He's still righteous. He still treats sin severely. How severely does God handle sin? Well, in Joshua's day, it required Achan to be put to death. But in our day, how severely does God treat sin? That he himself sends his only begotten son to go to the cross. God the Son, from eternity past in perfect, harmonious relationship with the Father and the Spirit, robes himself in flesh, lives a perfect life, and on the way to the cross is mercilessly beaten and then is nailed to a cross to die. And by that action, he absorbs every single ounce of wrath that you and I should have gotten. That's how serious God deals with sin. That he sends his own son to take that wrath for you and I. It's serious. And there's a severity to it. And so this is what God commands Joshua, that if they want to continue in the conquest, they want to see God work in the conquest, They had to make things right. And so we see God's judgment 
But then last, we see sin's impact. Verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of, son of Zabdi, son, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give him praise, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So we see Achan in the midst of the battle in the midst of the conquest, in the midst of taking Jericho, he begins to covet some items that he finds. A beautiful cloak, silver, and gold. Notice what he says, I coveted them and took them. So Achan, instead of trusting God to provide, he needed the leg up. As they were going into the promised land, he needed the head start. Man, surely if, you know, as we settle in here, as we get our houses together and in order, surely this cloak and this silver and this gold, surely this would go a long way in helping us get started in our new home. So maybe that was his mindset. But yet his motives still led him to do something that God had explicitly told him not to do. And the text continues. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. Behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that they had. And they brought them up to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. 
This is probably not a text that gets preached on regularly. Because it leaves us with questions. Like, why would God do this? Why would God command his people to do this? Doesn't this seem a little severe? Like, I understand Achan, but why his family and all of his stuff? You see, there's two issues. There's a contextual disconnect. Like, we don't know the whole story. Some scholars speculate that likely his family helped him hide the goods or they were aware of it, and that's why God brings this judgment upon his whole family. We don't know. The context doesn't give us that. I mean, I tend to think they were probably aware. Daddy comes walking into the tent with a nice cloak and shekels of silver and bars of gold probably stands out. So maybe they participated in this. We don't know. But the second is a cultural disconnect. You see, we live in a vastly different culture than Joshua did. And we still see elements of this culture in our world today. It's just not our culture because we live in a ruggedly individualistic society. I look out for me, myself, and mine. But in Joshua's day, it was what's known as a high context culture. That you identified more with your group than you did as an individual. You identified with your family over against identifying yourself individually. It's vastly different than we see in our world or in our context. You still see some, some of this today in kind of Eastern cultures where I don't want to do something dumb because doing that dumb thing would bring shame, not just upon me, but upon my family. And so that carries higher weight than just the individual. And so we don't quite wrap our minds around that, that there's this concept that's known as corporate solidarity that I identify with the corporate over the individual. So Achan's sons and daughters were identified with him, not just as individuals. Regardless of what the answer is, though, I believe the takeaway is this, that not only is sin severe, in terms of our relationship with God. But sin also has a horizontal component to it. That yes, we are accountable for our individual sins, but sin doesn't just impact us. You see, I'm convinced that some weeks our house individually keeps Amazon in business. There are some weeks where it's a daily basis there's an Amazon box on the front porch. Anybody else relate to that? Okay. Now let's just say, for example, 
I was beginning to notice that my income was not keeping up with the amount of money that was spent on Amazon. So I decided to take it upon myself on the way home from church today to go rob a bank to fund our Amazon habit. And sure enough, I was caught. Now that's just my sin, right? That's just my sin. I'm the one that did that. But I'm not the only one that feels the impacts of that. Because I go to jail for robbing a bank to support Whitney's Amazon habit. But now all of a sudden, I'm not in the house anymore. Whitney has to raise two girls without their father because I'm in prison. Now all of a sudden, Airline Baptist Church doesn't have a pastor unless you want to zoom me in from prison. But that was just my sin, though. You're, you're not accountable for that. You're not gonna stand before God and give an account for that, I will. But you still feel the impacts of it. You see, one of the greatest dangers of sin is thinking it impacts nobody else. But it ripples out. It ripples out into your family, it ripples out into your friends, it ripples out into your church community. This is why dealing with sin is so important. Not that we're gonna call you up here in front of the church and say, hey, confess all your sins or throw stones at you, but that you have people in your life that you can go to and say, hey, I am struggling with this. I've got this sin in my life that I'm wrestling with. Will you help me to walk through this sin? Because it's not only severe, but it has an impact that's greater than just you. See, it's because of Achan's sin. Achan was the one who was accountable for that sin. And yet, they lost the battle at Ai because of that sin. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. I believe it was true in Joshua's day and it is true in our day. God's mission requires a holy people devoted to a holy task. God's mission requires a holy people devoted to a holy task. As Mike and the band come back to the stage, first, let's start at the end. What is the holy task? The holy task is the mission that God has granted to the church that we should make disciples of all nations. 
That's the mission that he's called us to. That's the holy task that's before us. As specifically listed as a holy task. It's not something that is done flippantly or casually, but it is something we must be intentional about, careful about, thoughtful about. It is a holy task. But let's go back to that middle part. God's mission requires a holy people. I'm not talking about earning salvation. Don't misunderstand me this morning. Holiness is not something that we ourselves earn, but rather it is something that is imputed to us by the work of Christ. And so the journey of sanctification is not to become something. It is to grow in what we already are. You've heard me say before, holiness is not attaining some level of spirituality. But holiness is, I understand I am an adopted son or daughter of the king. And so holiness is not me living so that I would be a son or daughter of the king, but it's living that identifies with who I am as a son or daughter of a king. That's what holiness is. And so as believers, we are sons and daughters of the king. So the question is whether or not I live consistently with that. That is what holiness is. It's not living to become. It's living from what you already are in Christ. So for us as a church, to engage the mission that God's given us, we have to understand first and foremost, it is a holy task. It is a holy task to take the gospel across the street and across the world. It's a holy task. But then second, it's done by holy people. Not people who have everything together and walk in and pretend like everything's all right. Because I oftentimes think that's what we think of holiness as. Like they don't even walk on the ground, they just kind of hover everywhere they go. That's not holiness. Holiness is me living out who I am in Christ. As a collective body, when we begin to do that, we'll engage the mission that's in front of us. The mission that God has tasked us with by devoting ourselves to be a holy people engaged in a holy task. So this morning, as we prepare to wrap up, if you wanna come pray, this altar's open. Maybe today you, you do have some issues in your life that you're wrestling with, that you're working with, and you just need to pull somebody aside and say, hey, will you walk with me through this?
and talk about it and pray about it. I was going to say we have no stones here to stone you, but there are some stones up there. They will not be used for stoning today. But you'll find grace. You'll find brothers and sisters who will lock arms with you and walk beside you. So maybe that's you today, that you just need to come and lay that before the cross. Or maybe you need to come to be reminded of the holy task that God's given you in your life. To be reminded of what he's called you to do. Just as in Achan's day, he lost sight of what he was supposed to be doing in Jericho and began to do what he wanted to do instead of what God had commanded him to do. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that today. I'm gonna pray. Need somebody to pray with. Clint will be standing over there. I'll be standing over here. But let's respond to God. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, help us to be a holy people engaged in the holy task to live out who you've called us to be. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. seated. So as we get ready to depart this morning, I just want to give you a couple quick announcements. 
Um, so this week we're starting back our midweek equip classes. So I encourage you to come Wednesday night, um, 5.30, dinner, 6.15, um, children, youth, preschool, all that gets started. And then at 6.30, our adult classes will get started. We'll have two this time around. Um, so Chip is going to be teaching Song of Solomon. And so if you're interested in being a part of that study, um, that will be downstairs in the room with all the coffee tables in it. And so that will be at 6.30 downstairs. And then Mike and Clint are going to be starting a kind of evangelism, sharing your faith class. And so that will be in the choir room. And so those will start this Wednesday night at 6.30. And so just to celebrate this morning, um, give you an update of where we are. So as of today, we in one-time pledges this morning, there was $48,172.27 given. Definitely something to celebrate, and so that, I don't know what the exact numbers that that brings us down to. Um, and then we had monthly pledges moving forward is almost $5,000 a month. And so um, looking forward, so between total one-time and monthly pledges, we're sitting right now, as of today, with roughly $89,048.27. That's just from today. And so let's celebrate that this morning. And so based on that, what we're going to do is I will give you a next Sunday kind of what that's looking like in terms of when that will be paid off. I don't have those numbers in front of me because um, that also, no, what's not included in this is our just routine monthly giving out of budget that goes towards that. We've had some other gifts come in. And so I'm going to give you an updated number and time frame next Sunday. But let's just again celebrate, give the Lord some praise this morning. So thank you so much for your generosity in this and the Lord's provision as we seek to be debt-free as a church, to better engage what he's called us to do. And so on the way out, as I mentioned, it's a little bit different this morning. Um, instead of our normal ties and offerings, we have deacons that are going to kind of be stationed around throughout the facility. Um, on your way out, if you want to just drop off your normal ties and offerings with them um, on your way out after dismissal, um, feel free to do that. But again, thank you so much for being here today. And I'm going to ask Mike to close us in prayer. Amen. Let's be thankful. Y'all, let's stand together, all right? Amen. Can we say amen? amen? God is good all the time. Amen. Let's pray together and give him thanks. Father, we love you. God, it just blesses our heart to see, God, what you did this morning. And God, I know you did it through the hearts and, and men, hearts of men and women in this church who believe in you, who have placed our trust, our faith in you, believing and knowing you can do all things, God, if we'll just allow you to use us the way you will. So, God, we give you praise and and thanksgiving for this wonderful offering this morning, God, to, to eliminate this, this debt of our church building. And, God, we just look forward to the days ahead as we work to reach this community for your honor and for your glory. All the things, 
all the opportunities that are out there for us, God, to reach people for you, to see hearts changed, to see lives changed, to see souls saved for your honor and your glory. God, use us and allow us, God, to do that. Bless us and guide us to do that, Father. Give us the energy and give us the vision to do that daily in everything that we do. God, we give you praise. Now, guide us through this day and be with us even today, God. Give us opportunity to share the good news and the glory and the love of Jesus with someone today. God, we give you praise and look forward to what you're going to do in this place in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Love y'all.